Hello everyone, welcome to Arsholics Podcast on a Tuesday evening after bank holiday weekend. It's me, Raj. I've got Aaron with me. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. You all right? Yeah, I don't know why I went really high pitched there. Just said hello, mate. <laughs> I basically sort of semi lost my voice. I'm not really sure why. I've had a long work day, but I haven't really been saying that much. Um, so maybe it's just tiredness or overwhelming emotion after the weekend's events. You know, there was a, a huge thing happened um obviously on the weekend arsenal beat brentford um, yes. <laughs> see what i did there um, <laughs> I see what you yeah did yeah there. yes yes so the big talking point for the weekend was arsenal beating brentford and that is what we are gonna um you know w- what we're gonna focus on it, you know you'll be hearing if you're not watching live which probably not because we we didn't plan to go live at all we've just literally clicked the live button so no one probably knows we're live but um you know, if you are listening, it's probably Wednesday then. And so it's been been a few days that you've had to settle. And, um, you know, in terms of the game, you know, being a few days ago and, and, and um, you know, not necessarily so fresh in your mind. So don't want to necessarily dissect too much of the individual instance of the game. But it did give us a lot to talk about because on paper, and right, it was a, you know, there's, there's script behind this. We, we lost to Brentford last season on opening day. It was two nil. There was all there was all kinds of narratives. There was there was the whole you know Arsenal being bullied. There was kind of Ben White allegedly going to be exploited for the rest of the season. There was you know everything. It seemed like at that point everyone was on our backs. It was a you know it, it was the first of three defeats at the beginning of that season. There was the Ivan Tony tweet uh, about a nice kick around with the boys in the park and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was it was all of that, all of that, all of that, and so. Even though this wasn't the first game of the season, it was in fact the seventh game of the season. Uh, it still had a load of things that were packed into it, and a load of reasons why a good performance as well as a good result was going to be really important. And you know, Aaron, and I don't know about you, mate, but for me, it's one of the best Arsenal performances I've seen in years because it was just utter control like i've never seen us control a game for for the whole game there was literally not one spell that i can think of where i felt that we were we were out of control i mean how did you feel mate yeah no i fully agree it was it was one of the best certainly away performances we've had in a long time i know there's in some of the derby games against spurs at home come to mind where we were really good but this was a team that don't roll over easily um and by the end of it, people were wondering, okay, well, why did they roll over? And the fact is they didn't roll over. We were just so dominant from start to finish. It's, it, it's, it was basically the perfect away performance. Um, everything that could go right pretty much went right. We controlled the game. We created chances. We took our chances. We defended well. We, and when we went ahead, we continued to attack. We continue to use possession to our advantage and nullify any threat that they had. And, you know, they they switched to a back five, which they don't usually do because they were so worried about us and they tried to, you know, adapt their style to mitigate anything that we could do, but they couldn't get close. And Brentford are a really good side. Um, they've got some good players. They've got, they move the ball well. They the tactically always well drilled, but we just were so dominant. They couldn't get close. And I I was honestly, it was one of the best performances we've had in a, in a long, long time. And it gives me a lot of hope. And it's just another data point that we are going in the right direction because I don't think we would have done this this time last season. 
Um, and and yeah, like it was. I don't know. I'm running out of good things to say because there there wasn't much bad about yeah. about the game at all. Exactly, mate. I mean, we we talk about the fact that going anywhere away in the Premier anywhere at all being away in the Premier League is is hard, right? But like you say, this is a team that don't really give that much away. Um, they we don't have the, you know much to go on in the sense that they've only been in the Premier League for a relatively short amount of time. Um, they finished a respectable position last year, and like you, you know you said, I think they made a reputation of being a team that are are pretty tricky. And I think the stat is that they haven't lost by this kind of margin at home for, for many years. Um, so to do that and do it with control was impressive. And w- what do you think the key to that was, mate? Because you see, at the moment, what gets a little bit frustrating, I don't want to I don't want to be like uh, the Arsenal fan playing the violin here, but, you know, after every win that happens, there's all these reasons that float around in in the kind of the 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 arsenal twitter sphere and the punditry and you know the pundit class if you like and whatever which is around why for whatever reason the win wasn't that impressive yeah so when we went away at palace on opening day of the season the narrative you know it's friday it was like opening night it was under the lights one of the most vociferous fan bases around so on paper it's been really hard but then after after we won it was a bit like it was a bit of our arsenal really lucky that palace had a really bad pre-season arsenal were really lucky that you know yeah. uh, that palace didn't have a forward or whatever like is it ra- random things like this Okay, and then you know, as we know, every every result we've had this week has come with a has this season has come with a caveat. And with this game, I mean, it was bizarre for me because it, it felt like what people were saying is, oh, it was an early kickoff, and everyone knows that early kickoffs mean that the atmosphere is 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 not as good. And so Arsenal got lucky, and actually because of the Queen's death, and that created a somber mood. And so Arsenal were were lucky. I, I mean, was that the reason we? One three nil, mate. Or I mean, was was there was there more to it? <laughs> oh, man, I think look, I think there's you could probably give it a one percent factor that moving the kickoff forward like earlier two hours maybe had a a tiny tiny impact. Where the crowd was a little bit quieter than it was. Um, in terms of the Queen's passing having an effect on the crowd, I don't I don't think so. It's it, you know it's been about a week. I think if the game was at the Emirates and we were playing. Brentford at home would we be quieter if we were at home going to the game no um so I I don't think it had an effect I think what possibly did help us was the fact that we didn't have a game what certainly helped us the fact that we didn't have a game on Thursday um it meant that the players and the coach had a a week to prepare for this game and I think that showed um I think we were fresh we knew what we were doing we knew, I don't know when we found out that the midweek PSV game was getting postponed, but it just meant that we had all the time to prepare tactically. And I think that showed because we were very much drilled. We knew every player knew what they were doing and that certainly benefited us. But no, I think just the fact that you know Brentford is a team that you know they get their fans up and it was honestly silent by the end. I, I yeah. genuinely think that their fans were, they probably didn't know what to do because we scored yeah. at all the right times. I don't know. I can't remember exactly when we scored the third goal somewhere early on in the second half. And then from then on, we just killed the game by keeping the ball and we gave them nothing to get excited about. And that was what I was so impressed with because we've seen us do it so often that when we go in front, 
we just sit back and we allow the opposition back into the game. And we did that so many times last season when we go in front and then we let them back in and then we we freak out. But yeah. it's just another sign that this team are learning from their mistakes and learning from the errors that they made last season, which is go in front, keep the ball, take the game to them, get a second and then get a third and then the job's done. Yeah. And I was so, so impressed with how we did that. Yeah, the, the common point from this game and the Palace game away, and the reason I make those comparisons, again, away from home to teams which have these big, big, scary kind of atmospheres, is we started the game like mentality monsters, right? We started the game at 100 miles an hour on both those games. And they mm. always, from the beginning of time, people have always said, how do you deal, as an away team, how do you deal with a home crowd? You silence them. Silence the home crowd early. Yeah. And you do that basically by just keeping the ball and dominating, yeah. right? And, and you know, within two minutes, I, I remember, you know, the, uh, arguably our best move of the game was, you know, in the first couple of minutes where, you know, if you're a Brentford fan and you see that happening to you immediately, you start, you, you probably feel it's going to be a bit, it's going to be a long day. I, we've been there, right? When we've been at games where we, I don't know, we're, we're home to City or someone like that, right? And then, you know, in the first five minutes, you see a bit of football and you're like, oh, for God's sake, it's going to be a really long afternoon. You know, that's yeah. what I imagine it must have felt like for Brent. But, you know, for Brent France, you look at it, you're there and, you know, you're seeing us play that kind of football, that that playing at that kind of pace, beating the press like we were. I think it's very demoralizing. And I think that is, you know, forget the bloody early kickoff or whatever. The reason why the fans were subdued, in my opinion, was because we dominated from 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 kickoff and and it, interesting, you know, you, you point out again, probably what's what's even more impressive is now we're doing that at the beginning of the second half as well, right? You know, we, mm. we're, we're, we're clearly doing that. And, 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 and like you say, like scoring early in the second half did really help. Let's, I mean, let's get into, um, you know, some of the other like big talking points, I suppose, where c- coming into the game, it didn't look like he was unfit, but, you know, fairly, you know, I think, I think was it the day before or even on the day itself, it seemed like Martin Odegaard had picked up a, a knock, right? So we kind of got the news that he wasn't going to be starting. And, you know, we had, we had talked a lot on this podcast last season, hadn't we, around um, Odegaard's importance to this team and, you know, how he's the man that kind of, you know, makes it tick. And we debated as to who was more important player for the team, Saka or Odegaard, et cetera. Um, and, and whatever the answer to that question might be, I think what's clear is that, you know, we we do rely on Odegaard quite a lot. We had been relying on Odegaard quite a lot. And yeah. and this was going to be our, our first game of this season where our new captain uh, wasn't playing. And um, and in comes Fabio Vieira. How do you think we did without Odegaard? I think, yeah, it's, it's just a testament to the summer business that actually we can lose one of our best players. Someone comes in making... I see it was his Premier League debut, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, And um, we didn't look like we missed one of our best players. And that's testament to Fabio Vieira. I thought he came in, he moved the ball well, he took responsibility. He was helped by the fact, I think, we had Thomas Partey back, who I thought was brilliant, and Granit Xhaka also was, was excellent. The midfield generally was just so dominant that actually it allowed Vieira to just find his feet and we could play to his strengths. And actually we can, he could, he was in charge of just finding some dangerous positions, probably some slightly different positions to what Odegaard would normally take up, but still equally as dangerous positions. And we could see that 
he's got a pass on him and he could get players involved in the play in in very dangerous positions. And I think just the fact that our movement and our front three ahead of him is so dynamic and so fluid and really hard to keep track of if you're a defender, it must be a delight when you're a creative player like that, when you've got players making runs, switching positions and finding space everywhere. So, no, I was just I was just so pleased again with um we had obviously Vieira come in, we had Tierney come in, and actually you could say that in another season, if we lose our you know, one of our our left back and our number ten, last season we'd have been screwed. Um yeah. but this season we just carry on. We, you know, we probably and then we lose our two you know, two first team players and we look even better than we have done in in the past. Um and it's just another sign that we're learning from previous mistakes of squad deficiencies and look there are other areas in the squad where we're a bit weaker right and i think you take out a couple of other players in this team you, know, you take out jesus you take out saka we might struggle a bit but actually the fact that Vieira comes in and we look so unaffected and mm. keep in mind this is Vieira's first game he hasn't really played Premier League, well, he hasn't played Premier League football before, but the fact we that... Did, yeah, just get a few yeah. minutes against against Man United when we went for the yeah. Hail Mary and that was it. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to get better. He's going to figure out his teammates. He's going to figure out what works for him and how we how he gets into the league and how he adapts to the pace. But if this is him figuring stuff out, I'm really looking forward to, to where we're going to go with this. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I think that's a really good point. Uh, it, you know, you, you touched on the fact that he Vieira took up some sort of different sort of positions to, to Odegaard. Like, do you? It's hard to read into, isn't it? Because it is his first game, and uh, I suppose. But did you get the sense that it wasn't necessarily a like for like a replacement, and actually other, uh, you know, other people in the team were were doing different things, and they would have usually had Odegaard been playing. Uh it wasn't obvious, but honestly, our our play and our attacking play going forward is so complex at the moment uh, in terms of the positions that people take up, the positions Jacker was taking up, the positions uh, where Jesus was. Sometimes he, he was quite deep, sometimes he was in the box. And um, yeah, Saka, Martinelli, Vieira, it's all so intricate and so so fluid that it's hard to really compare from one game to another because the entire plan has nuances that are vary from game to game. So it it's honestly hard to tell. I think the main thing is that we we didn't miss him. And that's good because yeah. there are going to be times this season where we have a player like Odegaard's going to be carrying a knock or he might not be 100%. And actually, if we know that we can bring in Vieira or we can just interchange or we can give Odegaard 60 minutes and take him off early um, and not feel the pressure to play him. That's going to mean both players are going to be fitter and competing with each other for minutes and players on the pitch and positions on the pitch. Yeah, agreed. And what a way to, you know, to mark your Premier League debut with that, that goal. I mean, it's ball striking at its finest, wasn't it? He just sort of looked up knew exactly what they want to do. Bang, post in. And it's it's really interesting. It's another left-footed goal, right? There, I, I, yeah. I, I can't... Have, when was the last time we scored a right-footed goal? I mean, it's it's mental, isn't it? 
it's like nine in a row or something like that. Yeah, it's um, crazy. It's, like, it's either a header or it's either a left-footed goal. And yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a brilliant strike, wasn't it? And there's, you know, our fan base has got into this this de- debate at the moment as to, um, you know, does he who, who's better, Vieira and Odegaard? There's been some chat on on Twitter about it. You know, the the people who seem to have watched Vieira, um, you know, prior to joining Arsenal, seem to have lots of views as to what he could bring to the team. Is it just a case, mate, that we just need to enjoy the fact that we've got good players and not start not keep comparing them as to who's better and who's whatever? It's yeah. just it's just nice to have a squad. Like we have, say, like, we have so many games, and look, if we get to a big final, then the we can debate who should start in the final. But let's be realistic. <laughs> Before this, players are going to be injured. Players are going to have niggles. Players are not, you know, players might be a little bit more suited to one one you know, opposition team than the other. Um, and we should just celebrate the fact that we can we can rotate and not see a huge drop-off in quality. Personally, I love Odegaard. I don't know a lot about Vieira. Um, I'm still, you know, still reading from the surprise of when we signed him out of the blue. Um, yeah. So I know nothing. I'm not going to pretend I was a big Portuguese league watcher. So um, I'm going off what, you know, he's come off, come very, you know, highly rated his... Yeah, his YouTube videos look very good, but I don't really know what his game is and what you know how he deals with you know defenders who press, how he deals with you know pace and all that stuff. But um, I've been very very impressed so far. Yeah, and um, another thing that I was dwelling on, um, you know, after the game was was just how good Gabrielle's performance was. I. I Personally, think it's the best ninety minutes I've seen from him in an Arsenal shirt, and I was wondering, do you think he's benefiting with the focus being on Saliba? Everyone is talking about William Saliba at the moment. That's all you know. People just want to talk about is he as good as 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 you know everyone thinks he might be this prodigious talent, and you know that seems to be the focus. Is he benefiting from this? Do you think because he's kind of just going about his business and against Ivan Tony? Um, who's a tough striker to play against? You know, just been called up to the England squad. He's a, he's a, he's a tough striker. Tony didn't get a sniff, did he? Mm, he was very good. I, I think my my view on Gabriel is very much. He's always he's always like this. He just he has his moments, doesn't he? Where mm. he he'll just very rarely like not he's not a he's not a Mustafi or anything, but he does occasionally have those lapses in concentration. But, and then when he does, you know, sometimes things go wrong because that's the nature of when you're a center back and you lose concentration. But 99% of the time, he's just very good. And people do, you know, call out those, that 1% where he does just, you're just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this when you're pretty much world-class any other time? But the minute he cuts those out and if he doesn't have that, you know, he doesn't have a game where he has a brain fart, he's excellent. He's up there with yeah. some of the best defenders in the league. And his game is such that he's almost having to take this senior role within the, the back four. If it's uh, Tierney, him, Ben White and and Saliba, I'm assuming he's one of the oldest. I don't know if he's the oldest out of that four, but... Um, ben White might be by. I think Ben White is Ben White twenty four or twenty five. Uh, anyway, yeah, but he's, he's going to be one of the one of the oldest. You're right. Yeah, yeah, and he, but he definitely acts like one of the leaders there. And um, I think he just he's just like I'm going to let this kid Saliba just do his thing, yeah. and I'm just going to do my thing. 
and we're just going to make it work. And and the entire back four, especially the three of them, Ben White, Saliba and Gabriel have just, from minute one of this season, have just made this work so, so well. Yeah, yeah it's so well that Tommy Asu, who was probably my favourite player all of last year, yeah. um, so exciting, a top quality right back. He can't get looking in this team because Ben White is just doing everything so well and the balance that they have and then whoever we throw in at left back we make it work and look there are tougher tests to come right against man united they they found the gaps but when we get it right it looks very very impressive yeah completely agree with you you just talk to me about ben white for a second as well we like you say, there's been a revelation at right back. You'd probably say this season, not not necessarily revelation in the sense that you know, you know, he, he's 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 looking like a world class right back. It's not necessarily that. It's more that the role that he's playing in this system, how it's working, and how the the team have benefited him in, in, in from him in that role. Like you say, the fact that he's keeping Tomiyasu out um, is super interesting. Now, it's it's interesting, isn't it? He's he's been ever present, Ben White, for the team that is top of the Premier League, still top of the Premier League. Um, he's not made the England squad. He, Mad let, let's, yeah, let, let's let's <laughs> let's think and let's talk about it for a second, right? Like, is he he made the England squad for the Euros? Fine, he wasn't in the initial t- squad list, but he made it in the end because of because of an injury. So he went to the Euros. So he went he went to the Euros. Um, therefore, kind of on the back of a Brighton season, he's he's effectively moved to Arsenal, and 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 seemingly now he's lost his place in the in the in the England squad. As I said, as I said, like right now, if we just take this point in time, forget last season, but th- but right now he is ever present in a team that is top. Um, hmm. The World Cup is coming up, you know, in a, in a couple of months, and you'd probably think that if he's not in this squad coming up, then you know he, he'd have to do something a bit special or different, or you know, cl- clearly, basically, Gareth Southgate perhaps isn't fancying him. Um, and if you're Ben White, you probably may think that, all right, well, as a given I'm playing right back, maybe that's fair because England have got such amazing, you know, yeah. depth at right back, you know, with Reese James and, and, and Trent, et cetera. Um, do you think that he's, do you think that he's worried, mate? Do you think that there'll be a bit of him that's thinking, well, do you know what? Even, even if I am like playing games for Arsenal, we top of the league and that's great and everything. I, I, I am a centre back. And mm. and I think I can play for England as a centre back. But if I'm not playing games at centre back, then England aren't going to pick me. Do you think that might be an issue? I think it is an issue as to why he's not in the squad. But the more I think about it, I just think it's stupid from South for Southgate to think of it like that. In the fact that yes, Ben White is playing right back, but he's not playing right back in the way that a traditional right back plays right back, right? He's not bombing up and down the wing. And, you know, yes, he has to deal with some wide players now and then, but he's playing a very specific role, which involves him often tucking in in the middle of the pitch to help the midfield. Now, I know Southgate isn't going to play that system for England, but Ben White has shown that he can play right back really well. He's shown that he can play centre back really well. Um, and I think you you look at that and say, well, how many other players can give me that over some of my other centre backs? And I think England, are, you know, England have got some really good players, but they've also got some, in my opinion, not so great players. You know, and I don't really want to go into like 
who's in and who's out. But I have no idea how, if you're Southgate, why you take Harry Maguire, for example, who mm. can play one position and has his moments where he can't play that position very well. When you have someone like Ben White, who's playing both positions really well. And yes, he's not going to get a game for England at right back. But just in case you need someone who can step out into midfield and do a job, someone who can play centre-back and, if needed, play right-back, you, surely you take him. And I yeah. think it's it's very short-sighted to just say, OK, well, he's not playing centre-back. I need a centre-back, so I'm just going to pick players who are playing centre-back. Even if they're not playing centre-back that well, I'm going to take them. Even if they're not them. really playing, full stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's disappointing. Um, so I, I really hope Southgate reconsiders because Ben White's done everything right over the last year. I think you look at everyone else in that team and England, like I said, have some very good players in that squad, but how many of them have had better seasons than Ben White over the last 12 months? Some of them have, I agree, but the likes of Trent, the likes of Reese James, the likes of Trippier, I think are all really good players. But when you look at players like Connor Cody, when you look at uh, Eric Dyer, when you look at Tomori, I mean, Tomori's been okay. Um, I just think, well, what what is the what it, what do you need to do to get in the England squad? And what has Ben White not done to deserve not being in there? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And so if we if we put that to aside right put to put to aside the the rationale and let's just say if gareth south because gareth south seems like the sort of manager who actually does have a conversation with a lot of these players who don't necessarily make it you know to sort of talk to them and and i'd love to know what he said to ben white i'd love to know if he said to him mate it's it's actually because uh i see you as a center back and you're not playing a center back at the moment and that's why i haven't picked you let's just say let's just say that he has received some indication or he has a feeling that um that he's you know that that's the reason. I mean, I really hope, I guess this is a hypothetical, I was going to ask you the question, but I guess your guess is as good as mine, right? In terms of, like, I wonder whether at what point it becomes an issue for him, if at all. At what point does he knock on Arteta's door and says, and says, yeah, I don't really want to play right back anymore, mate. Um, you know? That, I think, I don't think he'll do that. Yeah. I think if he does do that, it would be incredible. Like, I, I understand the World Cup is the World Cup. I think normally, if it was the Nations League, I know this is the Nations League, but the World Cup is coming up. If this was next year and there wasn't a tournament or you know, we're in the middle of coming up with some friendlies or something like that, I don't think it would bother Ben White. I think he's going to be like, well, I'm just going to continue what I'm doing. I'm starting for Arsenal. We're playing really well. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. The problem is with the World Cup, players start to think a bit more short term. They think, what do I need to do between now and November to get on that plane to Qatar? Um, but I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand what he can do. Like he's not gonna, like he risks doing an, an Ainsley Maitland-Niles in that sense of saying, like, hey, um, I know I'm a right back and I'm starting in cup finals, but actually I want to play in defensive midfield because that's yeah, that's what I believe I am. Um, and we all know how well that worked out for Maitland-Niles. Uh, so no, I don't. I mean, I'm sure even Ben White can see that Saliba and Gabriel are doing really well. And Ben White will get games at centre-back, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Tommy Asler will get games and there'll be games where Saliba needs a rest or Gabriel, even Gabriel needs a rest and we we move players around. But 
would he really go to Mikel Arteta and say, I want to play a centre-back to to get in the World Cup squad? I don't, I don't know. I mean, stranger things have happened. Um, players are quite short-sighted and the World Cup makes players do and ask for for things. But the sensible thing here is for Southgate to see that just because he's playing right back on a on a formation chart, A, he's not really playing and doing what a traditional right back does, but B, he can still do a really good job at centre-back for England if he's called up. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree with that. I, I agree with everything you say. I don't think it's something that he's going to, you know, think you know, he's going to be disappointed he's not playing for England, don't get me wrong. But it's also, I think, different when, you know, you're playing out of position and your team are struggling a little bit. It's probably all those things that annoy. But when your team are top of the league, yeah, you, you, you know, you're not going to, what are you going to say? Like, you know, this is, this is, he's playing in a great team. We're playing great football. The mm. better Arsenal do and the more minutes he gets, even if it is at right back, I think at some point they'd probably be, you know, yes, it's it's annoying that this World Cup is coming at this point in time. But if Arsenal are playing Champions League football and Ben White is regularly playing for Arsenal, I'm sure that's going to put his international career in good stead. You know, um, yeah. and um, and it's it, it's interesting though when you when you kind of look around the pitch because you've got just all these players that that seem reborn in some way. You know, like it, there's some there's an element to their game that's been tweaked, that's been changed. Um, Granit Xhaka is one, right, who we've talked about quite a lot, but another just phenomenal performance from him, you know, against Brentford. He's getting to the point now where even opposition fans are turning around saying, do you know what, actually, Granit Xhaka is quite good. Um, <laughs> you know, my, Prash, you know, my friend Prash is Chelsea fan. He, 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 said, he said the other day, he goes, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Granit Xhaka has like really impressed me this season. And, I think a lot of Arsenal fans are, are, are saying the same thing. Look, I think I think a lot of Arsenal fans, right? Like um, even ones that have criticised Xhaka for for certain reasons. Like we've criticised things that he's done and ways in which he's uh, mistakes that he's made, etc. Um, when he's on the pitch, whatever. But I think you know most Arsenal fans have always seen good qualities in what he does. But what's just yeah. phenomenal is is you know. I guess this system that now Arteta is playing, where where you know he is kind of this. Um, He's, he's playing in that final third a little bit more uh, is is super interesting and and I think that's probably one of the most one of the, one of the most fun things about the Arsenal side for me right at this moment in time is that rebirth thing that you know so many players just just getting that extra little bit of level and and um, and you know what like things things just seem to be working in a really interesting way right like so if you look at Arsenal's we it wasn't so long ago we were complaining about chance creation. It wasn't so long ago we were complaining about things like, you know, just players getting in the box and all that kind of stuff. Right now, we score every single type of goal. We are such a threat from set pieces. And from open play, we've got just, well, I think we've got the top, we've got three of the top 10 chance creators in the Premier League at the moment. I think this season, Gabriel Jesus, Martinelli and Saka are all in the top 10. It's all just going, it's all going really well. I mean, it's 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 nice to reflect on being top of the league um you know whenever but it's it's seven games now one six draw uh, one six lost one we played more away games than we have home games which i think is a is 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 really good but we've got an international break now probably at quite a good time I, you know i don't know if you'd agree with that in terms of um in terms of injuries uh you know it's, it's good to get some of these guys back and then we've got tottenham haven't we mm. um and that is going to be Absolutely massive. Now, you know, I've just talked, I've just given you a little spiel about, you know, Arsenal and some of the good things that we've done this season. 
Tottenham are also not so far off us. What are the things that you think that Tottenham have been, you know, doing well or or, or not so well? I mean, at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, we can, you know, the, the, the table doesn't lie. They are, I think, what, one point behind us, are they? Yeah, they've drawn one game, two games maybe. That's it. Drawn two, right? Yeah, and yeah. then and then won the rest. What um, do you What do you think about Tottenham? What and it, they're quite different to Arsenal in terms of you know how how you know like how they set up and how they play. But yeah, talk talk to me about about what you think about Tottenham. Oh man, um, I don't. I feel really conscious about laying into them right before we play them because they just have this annoying habit of making making me look silly. But honestly, I think the thing they've done well this season is win games, right? But a bit like us, every a bit like us, yeah. Well, we've won games, but we've won games where I've come away from that thinking we should have won by more. Um, when I've watched Spurs this season, there've been a couple of games where they've been all right, but that I've mostly come away from that thinking, how did they win that game, or how have they come away with those points, and did they? Yeah, they get lucky or they're just super clinical. Um, And the thing that I just don't see anything exciting about them at the moment. Now, a lot of that was because Son wasn't playing well, right? And annoyingly, which has been really crap timing for us, he seems to have found a bit of form. Oh, at least he's got 20 minutes of form in the last game where he came on and he got a hat-trick. So... This could all be irrelevant if um, they've finally figured out how to get uh, Son scoring goals and just get that link-up play. But generally, I just think that Spurs have got a very unique way of... I think Conte has just been like, well, I don't really care about entertaining. I don't really care about playing well. I just care about winning. And I think he's realised the way we win is by just getting the ball to our two best players and hoping they do something good. And unfortunately for us, Kane and Son usually do something good. Hmm. And um and I think the the way they, they stop is if they if we if you stop Kane and Son, you basically stop Tottenham. There there isn't I know Richarlison's come on and he's added a bit more, but I know they've got Kulosevsky, but largely if you stop Kane and you stop Son, nine times out of ten, Spurs don't win. Um, and that's and easier that said than what, done, though, is it? <laughs> it's easier said than done because they're very good players, obviously. But it's you can't say that about us this season. And I think you look at us, we're a very, very different team in this way that for, for you to stop Arsenal, you have to stop all of, our, all of our players from playing because everything with us is so finely interlinked and so finely balanced that you you know you stop Saka on the right you've got Jesus and you've got Martinelli you stop the front three you've got the creativity behind you've got Odegaard you've got Vieira you've got Xhaka who can all do well the defense itself looks really good we're strong all over the pitch and um I don't I don't see that with Spurs I think Spurs midfielders look imbalanced all season they haven't really figured out how to get Perisic and Son playing well um again I know Bentanko's been doing all right and has been getting goals but they when Basuma comes I like Basuma hasn't really worked out really well so far for example so they they don't look balanced but they they're still finding ways to win which is really really annoying and 
I think what what worries me a bit is that the only way that we've been exposed so far is this kind of smash and grab against Man United. Yeah. And actually, that was a very Spurs-like performance from Man United. Yeah, very good. And if Man United can do a Spurs, Spurs can do a Spurs, <laughs> right? And that is what worries me. But you look at all the stats, you look at all the data we should be winning comfortably. Um, but it's the derby and things go out the window and emotion and someone does something stupid. The referee makes a big call, sends someone off. It's a very, very different game. And uh, But look, if we play to our potential, we should comfortably beat them. And we are often cautious, right? But our our home record at Tottenham against Tottenham isn't so bad, right? And last season, I know it was the end of the back end of the Nuno era, um, but we completely hammered them. Uh, I mean, I mean, in the, in the end, it ended up being three one, and it was a it was a bit it was a bit hairy for a moment at the end. I remember, yeah. um, but but otherwise, you know, we, we did pretty well, and I think that um, you know, at home we are a, we are a pretty good beast. I do you think that actually? we are quite fortunate in some ways that we had that Man United game when we did, that we got to play against a team that, like you say, probably played in a very similar way in which Tottenham are going to play against the Tottenham. Like you said, Tottenham aren't going to go toe-to-toe. They can't. Mm. They'll lose. And they know that. And But they could foresee it. They could genuinely win if they just do, you know, what they've been doing, which is the, the counter counterattacking kind of, you know, style of play. But what was really nice, I thought, right, when we looked at the Brentford game, it felt to me when I watched Brentford that we had learned some lessons from the United game because it felt like quite often when the ball was being recycled, so when we when we try and attack and we'd lose the ball, it felt like we were doing an incredible job at getting very tight and get and really like shutting down any opportunities for them to break. And I wonder if that United game is, you know, if we can take positives from that game, I wonder whether it would have helped us prepare for you know what's going to come against Spurs because like you say is you know it's they 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 could very well out Man United out what Man United did and and yeah but then again you look at look at the Man United performance we should have won that game you know we that Martinelli goal does it gets uh gets given it's we're probably sitting here top of the league winning 100% of our games yeah it yeah it's such a fine margin where we didn't play badly we came away from that thinking how on earth have we lost that game um and that's what I don't think we get, like you said, I don't think Spurs go toe-to-toe with us. I don't think we, when we're speaking after the Spurs, I don't think we're going to sit there thinking we've been outclassed. I think there's two outcomes. We either win or somehow we play well and Spurs, just through the sheer quality of their front two or front three, hmm. manage to sneak a point or a win because we do something stupid and they just exploit the one mistake that we make and are really clinical and make us look silly and that we just can't make it work up front. Um, I'd find it very, I'd be very, very surprised if we don't turn up in that sense Um, because we've turned up every single game. Agreed. Agreed. It's Derby games. Often a lot goes out the window and you know, you, you you sort of mentioned it. I think we were talking about on WhatsApp and you mentioned it about how everything suggests all the stats suggest we should be battering Spurs because a very, you know, if you look at the the breakdown of the stats, we have more time or more touches in the final third than any any other team this season. Spurs concede more touches in the final third than any team 
in, in their 39 team season. So in, th- in theory, basically, it's the team that's best at spending time in the opposition's box playing the yeah. team that's worst at allowing teams to spend time there. But so in theory, this should yeah. be a game where, you know, Arsenal at home, all of that should mean that we really, really pin them down into that, into that final third. But, but then at the same time, do you have to worry? Do you think, okay, we're playing a team that's used to, that's used to like playing against, you know, conceding a lot of that during the game. Do you think that there's a chance that Arteta will have to not get sucked into that and have a plan B or do you think he just goes now plan A and you know let's just do it let's just dominate possession and 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 go for it do our do our play our game or do you think he needs to think about it a little bit more I think I think we have to play our game like I think there's probably some work we have to do in how we deal with the transition because Spurs Mm -hmm. will transition quickly from back to front and they'll know that that is how we've been beaten before but I think we can with with hopefully Partey comes it's it's fit and I know there's some doubts over if he's going away on the international break. But if we can keep our players fit and we prepare for a quick transition, we've shown we can deal with it. Right. And actually against Man United, nine times out of ten, we did deal with it. It's just very unfortunate that the against Man United they had two or three counterattacks and they scored every single one. That doesn't normally happen, right? The, the again, but going back to Spurs, it's Spurs and they are a team who are very, very good at they get one chance for Kane or Son. They'll usually make that count. So we just need to, we just need to be disciplined. And like you said, it'll be a case of, are we clinical in when we're in their box? Cause we'll get chances. We'll get into their box. The question is, will we be stupid like we were against Man United or will we be clinical like we were against Brentford? And I'm hoping that the players take their chances and we, and we do well. There's a rumor that Hugo Lloris has picked up an injury. Oh, really? I don't know how 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 solid that is, but there's there's a rumor that that is you know maybe it's one of those games where you know a few things go our way in that way because you certainly hope that it doesn't you know that that we don't suffer a couple of key injuries during the international break. As you mentioned with Thomas Partey, he wasn't available when we played Spurs last season away. You know, in that mm. crucial crucial game, um, and it was pretty costly i think you know in the end and we saw yeah. against brentford i think uh you know a, a, a really really good version of Partey. you know and him and jack yeah. are just just absolutely and you feel that if the two of them are playing at the emirates and if you know we're, we're on the kind of form that they are that can be so so huge for you but i have a question for you in terms of sort of selection Hold assuming on, before, every- on that on that yeah. note yeah. i just want to bring up a, a listener question from some guy um Maybe we can discuss it. Okay. So read out. my, yes. So this guy Mize has left a question here or a statement or whatever. And, and uh, he sometimes is on this pod. He missed out today because he couldn't be bothered. He said that <laughs> apologies for missing this one. Lads Madrid has ruined me. He was in Madrid getting drunk. Um, a question from me, which I hope you can discuss later, Katie Ozinchenko, do you think we have a first choice left back? So actually, do you know what's beautiful about the timing of this? The question I was literally about to ask you before you, you came in with this point was a selection question, assuming everyone is fit, given Spurs's strengths on the counter, do you play Kieran Tierney or Zinchenko at left back? Oh, that's a tough one. I I think you kind of just 
I think you, you can't drop Tierney after this performance. I think it's very hard. So I, I'm almost tempted. And I think Tierney's a better defender. I think you mm-hmm. probably need someone who can deal with, I guess it would be Kulisevsky or even Richarlison on that side. Um, you, I would say go with Tierney. I think there's nothing wrong with Kieran Tierney. Uh, and I think, look, if we go behind then we can bring on Zinchenko if we need to. I mean, you can look at it both ways. You say bring on Zinchenko and then bring on Tierney to shore it up. Zinchenko yeah. gives us more going forward. I still think, actually, Tierney doesn't... Tierney's not exactly bad going forward. I know on the ball he is a bit more limited, but he's still a very, very, very good left-back. And he can do things in terms of his crossing and his ability to just deal with wide players it's a good problem to have who would you go for my instinct initially said Kieran Dierney the thing is I I feel again you know I've talked about the five subs thing and I I feel like you know people should utilize it more in in a more fundamental tactical sense in the sense that I think that going to kind of what you were saying as one of your suggestions I wonder if starting off with Zinchenko is the right idea where you think, okay, we're going to play plan A, we're going to really try and dominate. And, you know, and Zinchenko seems to have been the plan A for most of the season thus far. And part of that has been, you know, because this role that he plays is just, it's just crazy. Sometimes you see him as centre forward sometimes, like the positions that he's taking mm. up, you know, when he, and it's just such a, must be such a, a, a difficult thing to defend against and prepare for when you've just got this floating um, kind of player. Uh, but there's a part of me thinks, you know, you start off with him with the anticipation of, dominating the possession, dominating ball, etc. You do that. If it starts getting really hairy and actually the game isn't panning out in the way that you thought it was going to be, then make the ch- make the change and make it make it a half time if you need to. You know, don't there's no need to, to wait so long. Or, you know, hopefully the way it pans out is when Zinchenko is on the pitch, we we dominate the ball, we score a couple of goals. The moment you go, I don't know, 2-0 up or whatever, bring KT on and just make sure that, you know, when they're counter-attacking, you've got your, your better defensive left back. I think... It, it, we do forget, I think, how good a left back Kieran Tierney can be. Yeah. You know, it's it's really easy to forget that uh, injuries have have not been kind to him. And I think part of the reason why it's really good to have Zinchenko is there's nothing to suggest that injuries will get better for Kieran Tierney. He might just be one of those players who ends up getting injured every now and again, and and you just need that. You need someone else to be able to step in. So, mm. listen, I mean, uh, so for me, I, I, if if I was to say right now, because we are at home. Um, I would perhaps go with with um, Zinchenko, but I do think it is it, there's an argument to say it's really harsh to drop him. Um, mm, I just I just that. think that performance on Sunday was so balanced, yeah, and so dominant. Like honestly, if he rolled up with the same eleven, even if Odegaard was fit, I wouldn't blame him. I, I mean, I know that's a big ask starting Vieira uh, against Spurs when he's had one and one game in 10 minutes but everything works so well that you you wouldn't begrudge it Ateta just saying I'm just this worked and I'm just going to go with it again but he's not going to if, if Odegaard's fit he's not going to not play as captain is he no no I think it's as unlikely I think if this was if Vieira had been doing that for three or four games for example I think maybe he would have a harder call to make but the fact that Vieira's just had one game and it spurs, you you play your captain. Um, and Odegaard usually has a really good game against Spurs. So 
there's it's it's a good problem to have. And like, look, if we can have Kieran Tierney, Vieira, and Ketia all on the bench, then they're good options to bring on. Yeah, absolutely. To do, so, so Mize, I hope that you know kind of did answer your question. Like, and I think that um, I think the answer is I, I personally don't think we've got a first choice left back and. And I'm cool with that. I think it is really a situation. I think I, I'd like. I really would like if the more. I almost think you could probably say we go away from home. You play Tierney. You play at home. You play Zinchenko. I want. I wonder if maybe that's how we do things going forward. Um, I think they're both really good. Um, and but I, but I do I do think that Kieran Tierney is the better defender. You know, and so I think in the games that do call for that, personally, I think he's the one that I would I would go for. Um. But what do you think, uh, Aaron? Do you, do you think that we have a first choice, or do you think it's basically like that? I think, I think it's just, just there's going to be players coming in and out of fitness. I think we just go with go with what works. Again, I think because we're at home, I think he probably goes with Zinchenko. Um, but I do worry. I do, I do worry a little bit about Zinchenko defensively. And if we do get caught, can he, would he, if there was a situation where he was one-on-one with Kulisevsky, Richarlison, or even Son, if he's moving over to that side or just running at him, how would he do? I'd rather, I'd rather Tierney. But, you know, against, you know, against a quality wide player, any fullback will struggle. You know, there's a, you know, there's an argument to say that we play Tierney and someone's running at him, he gets beaten. So, um, yeah, it's 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 about balance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, really, really looking forward to that game. Um, oh, question. Um, DWT, don't waste the tweet. How's it going, mate? I was wondering, I was like, who is this? Yeah, how's it going, mate? I hope, I hope you're good. Long time no here. Um, you're saying Arsenal have... have a squad have need a squad when they can bring in players and the drop off is minimal. Tommy Asu, White, KT Zinc, give us that, right? Yeah, man, totally. Like, uh, you know, I think this is the point, right? Like, this is this is one of the best things about when you compare this season to you know even this point in time last season. We were we were so what every time Tommy Asu looked like he was out of the team or KT looked out of the team, it was. It was like doomsday stuff, right? There's no no massive disrespect to you know Tavares and and you know Cedric, but like it's not the same, is it? Like right now, like to think to think that we were on the weekend, for example, you know when it looked like Zinchenko was out, and we're like, oh god, Zinchenko's out, what a shame. Oh, I guess you know Tierney's going to have to come in. My God, like what a contrast to last season, right? You know, and it is it is amazing. Amazing. This is what these the top teams have. You you look at them and they and they all have that. The you know you, well, when we say when we say top teams, really like the two that you have got to look at are are Liverpool and and Man City and and you know they're, they're a bit Man City's ability to just kind of to not be fussed when a first team player is is out or injured is just phenomenal. And ultimately, that's what we have to aspire to, right, Aaron? Yeah, I think. Look, we're a little way away from Man City, who can literally bring three, four, five, fifty million players off the bench, and still have a couple that probably won't even make the the match day squad. But look, what, like I said, there are probably one or two players. I think, well, if they suffer a, an injury where they're out for three or four games, then 
will be in trouble. I, I still think Jesus is the big one that really worries me. I know Eddie can do a lot and he's come off mm. the bench, but he offers us so much that I think without him, we drop off a bit like a significant level. But everywhere else, like the centre-backs, the right-back, left-back, um, midfield to a certain extent, number 10, it it just looks very, very, very balanced. It looks balanced and it looks like it's just a well-oiled machine. Mm. And it looks like, you know, when I think that, again, the, the most the, the most fun thing about, you know, seeing the team without Odegaard and how, how well it did was just just how it felt like we have a style of play. We have an ethos. We have, we have very specific rule sets. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so true. Um, DWs are so true. Yeah. Yeah. Like honestly, that's all fingers. I'll just finish my point. And there is a Jesus point about missing time that I want to make. Um, but um, you know, one of the, one of the most fun things that, you know, you're watching last moments, interchangeable cogs. Everyone feels like they know exactly what they need to do if they are in any position on the pitch. It's the understandings, um, you know, phenomenal there. And, and who knows, right? You know, you, you let's get into that Jesus point with Gabriel Jesus. Who knows? We thought that, you know, taking Odegaard out of the team would potentially make a big impact. And we, obviously he's a great player and, 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 and stuff like that, but the team coped. And you wonder now whether the team is oiled enough, well, well drilled enough that, if Jesus is taken out the team, you know, for a game or, or or two, and just you know, you you replace that cog with an Eddie or whatever, the team finds a way because they are just so in sync. Everyone knows what they meant to do. They're just they're able to bring the best out of each other and compensate with one another. Because the fact is, we may we may soon have to be without Jesus um, for a game or so because Jesus is one yellow away from a suspension. Yeah, I thought that 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 yellow he got on Saturday was or Sunday was ridiculous. By the way. Yeah, um, ridiculous in the sense that he didn't deserve it, or he didn't deserve it. Like he made one foul; it was a very minor foul in eighty-eighth minute or something, and he just gets a book booking. Um, I think that the commentator, who I thought was actually talking a load of nonsense on Sunday, said he'd, he'd been making a lot of fouls all over the pitch, but I don't think he was. Um, it just seemed like actually the referee was probably a bit bored of us just passing it around. Yeah. And he was just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this. I'm just going to book him. Cause I've got nothing else to do. What do you think of that, mate? There's a, there's a, did you see that stat floating around that Gabriel Jesus has played seven times, seven, seven appearances for Arsenal. I want to say it's seven, seven starts. Is it? I can't remember. So basically the point is he's got four, he's got four yellow cards in seven. Yeah. And he had one yellow card in about 26 games for yeah. um, his last 26 games for City. What do you think that is? That's a, is that is that is that referees just kind of is it easy to get? I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't, again, I don't want to bang on the if you claim that there's an agenda, but that's a bit weird. It's a bit weird I don't think there's what? an agenda, but I do think it. I think subtlety of like when. When you say, like, we get harshly treated by the referees, I don't think it's the big calls. What I think it is, is these little yellow cards that actually we have, we make one foul and one of our defenders are on a yellow. And actually then they're up against a, a winger. That winger has a considerably easier game. Whereas the opposition defenders have to make three, four or five fouls before they get a yellow. And 
have to defend against Sacra Martinelli on a yellow. And I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we're just, we don't make it difficult enough for referees. I don't know if we don't pressurize referees enough, but it's it's hard. Um, it's it's very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. DWTT no, but... says Jesus was making fouls. Probably means Jesus is getting beat up on the pitch because that's what I see. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think he's is there. There is other stats about him being one of the most fouled players in the league, and so there's a, there is a point there around the role that he plays for Arsenal versus the role that he's playing for City, and how much more of a you know focus he is, and and um, how much more of a yeah, like I guess focal point, and and therefore like perhaps he is kind of someone who defenders are are getting at more, and maybe that means that he also retaliates a little bit, and you know I don't know. But whatever it is, I mean, you're right, Aaron, and maybe it's a combination uh, of stuff. Um, yeah, and to, but hey, before very quickly, um, yeah. so there were some comments in the chat. So when we started talking about squad depth, we did have this question that you might want to read out as well. Um, so Gudgeon says, "Hello, boys. Where should our priority be in the upcoming transfer market? Upcoming to January, right? Um, it's a really interesting one because you've got the World Cup, which plays such a huge." differential here that you know so many things could happen in that world cup that we're just not you know we just can't predict it could be an injury to one of our players um it could be an injury to more than one of our players but it could also be something which you know suddenly a player like suddenly comes into the spotlight and it's a it's a player that maybe you know the top clubs weren't looking at before but all of a sudden they have a good world cup and 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 you know they um they're 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 in demand. I think what's interesting, right, is about the, you, we've got a bunch of games left, then we've got the World Cup, then we've got two games, and then it's January, right? So mm. it's a very interesting kind of moment. It's it's you you've got this, you've got you've kind of got this moment of um like right now to look at our squad and to think what we need versus what we think we might need on the 31st of December, I think are two, two completely different things. Um mm. so 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 Gardens to answer your question. If I'm just going to base it on purely what we know now, like if I think if if, if, I, if I look at our squad right now, I think it's got to be either a central midfielder or a right winger. Um, so it's basically the same stuff I think that you know we, we were talking about before. And I think because you know we've 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 seen right like Partey and Jacka are this phenomenal duo. Um, I do still really like Lokonga, but I think he's raw, um, and I think he's still still I still think he has some way to go. And I just wonder whether with El Neni's injuries and stuff, like whether we need another body still, whether we'll still end up being short. And and with the winger situation, like I think it's less of an issue than I thought it was before because Marquinhos, as he's shown in the Europa League, is easily good enough to play in at least the Europa League, and he looks like he's a you know technically gifted physically gifted player so maybe it's not as big of an issue i mean aaron and what do you think yeah no just say tish eats in the comments definitely agree says biggest drop off is when party is injured Lakonga not at the level yet i yeah i i'm probably inclined to agree that we probably need a little bit more in midfield but i think what well, world cup we break up for the world cup mid-november it's like it's gonna be a bit of a weird one because i think at that point, the planning for January and the window will begin. So it's, I don't know what the dynamics of the market are going to be like. There'll be a bunch of players at the World Cup, but there'll also be a bunch of players sitting at home doing nothing for for six weeks. So I wonder if, you know, come mid-November, we're going to be like, okay, this is where we are in the league. Hopefully we'll still be in and around top. 
uh, at least in and around the top four, we'll have a pretty good ask, a view of like what what we're going to be fighting for come the resumption on Boxing Day. And actually, dare I say, a smart club probably has a player then ready to go January 1st. Mm. And if that player isn't at the World Cup, there's no reason why you can't have talks with that player. There's no reason why you can't just have a chat with that club because, you know, it'll be weird. It'll be different. It's not normal. And actually, maybe clubs will be really willing to talk and just get their house in order and get their finance in order because of this mid-season break. And yeah, there'll be players that come in at the at the World Cup, but actually, it's it's it'll be different. And I think we can't base any any previous seasons, any previous normality in terms of what will happen this January. Because honestly, if we're in and around first or second or third, and we're two, three points off top, then actually, maybe maybe we say, actually, look, let's just go and get that central midfielder. So if Partey gets injured or if Lukonga isn't doing what he's doing, and if we're in with a shout of the Europa League and the Premier League or the top top four come come March, April, May, we have the squad to go the distance. You, you It's it's hard, isn't it? Like, Because I, I agree with you, but it's a similar debate as to what, what we had last January. We talked about last January about, you know, do you just go for it? Do you try and get the top four? And, and you know, then mm. we've talked about this summer, the fact that, you know, we bought Jesus and would we have bought Jesus if we had bought some other striker last January, even if it was only for about 20 million? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we would have, but, you know, there's a lot of hypotheticals. We'll never know, but I do. I do. Look, I still look back on December, like January last season and think if we had bought someone, we might be playing Champions League football this season. And whether that would have allowed us to get Jesus in, get Vieira in, get, you know, deal with all the new contracts that we need to deal with. Who knows, right? We don't we don't see the books. We don't know what the finances are like. Mm. But I personally, I think there's going to be a bit of regret floating around last season to say, actually, we were really close last season to getting Champions League. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we didn't. What well, it's quite, it's, it's quite possible the reason why we didn't really like pull the trigger on people like Tielemans and Douglas Louise was because we knew that they would be in their last six months in January, right? Yeah. So it's quite it's quite possible that actually the plan is to get one of those players. If we genuinely thought that they were players that, you know, we wanted to play for Arsenal and it sounded like, you know, Arteta and Eddie did like them, they may well just go in in, in, in January. I don't think Miller and, and Leicester are in, in a position to... Um, be letting players go for, you know, go for a free. Leicester certainly are not in a position no. where they can afford that. Um, so we can play real hardball when I think it comes to someone like Tielemans. I wonder though if like other clubs like Liverpool, given their central midfield kind of challenges, may may compete with us for a, a couple of those players. Um, but we'll see. Like, look, I, I like I do agree with you. I think that um, the regret from last, from, from, you know, the last, last January, if there is regret in, in Arteta and Edu's mind, then it may influence kind of, you know, them doing something. I, I just really hope that the more and more I think about where our squad is at the moment, mate, and I think about the age profiles, I think that what would be great is if we try and proactively address the central, the, the central midfield succession plan. Yeah. Like uh, uh, Partey and, and Jack are two of the older players in this team. Yeah. Mm. V- very soon they'll both be 30. I think one's 29, one's 28, I want to say. Right. So it's not that long before they start sort of turning 30. Yes. Okay. It's not, it's not the biggest deal. It's not the end of the world. Players are much fitter now. But I'd quite like to see us go in for a 
big, real top quality central midfielder before we really need a big top quality central midfielder. Like I'd rather it was addressed in a in a slightly more proactive way. So therefore I wonder whether, you know, if it is a case about saving money, if it really is, if that is what it's all about, think of it this way, right? In the summer, if Arsenal play Champions League football in the summer, which is looking at the moment like it's a, you know, a genuine prospect, it's, you know, you'd probably be very disappointed as an Arsenal fan at this point if we don't finish in the top four. It's possible, but 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 you know, um, yeah. if if um if we did finish in the top four, we're a team you know who are playing Champions League football next season with a really exciting project full of um, young players who are clearly playing good football and clearly going places. There are some of these big name central midfielders who you know are going to be up for sale. Like you've got Declan Rice, you've got Bellingham, etc. And at the <laughs> end of the day, yeah, yeah, I, I, well, yeah, but I mean. Here's the thing, like it's easy. So now we're not playing European Champions League football. So obviously for me to say, oh yeah, we should be targeting those players, I think is a bit ridiculous because why if you're Declan Rice or Jude Bellingham, why if you're those two players, would you go to Arsenal right now when you've got, you can pick anyone, right? Fair enough. Mm. But if Arsenal are playing Champions League football with a very young team, you feel like that actually the level's only going to get better. So therefore you're going to be playing Champions League football. You put money on playing Champions League football more regularly. Wouldn't you, if you are one of those players, go, okay, look, here's a great opportunity to go into a side that's going places, that is yeah. already playing Champions League football, that, you know, has a great identity, playing really good football, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, why not? It may come down to money, right? And it may yeah. be that, you know, a, a Man City comes in and goes, actually, do you know what? Like, forget it. We, we you know, we need we need Jude Bellingham and, you know, we, we need Declan Rice or, or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, uh, so I... Basically, I, I feel like if if there is any element that we need to compete financially, and if that can be through doing some prudent things in January, then I wonder if that will come into play. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think oh, we've said this a few times. The players that we've signed this year, they were sold a project. I don't think that project was we are going to compete for top four for the next five years. Yeah. I think the project is this year we get top four. We should have got it last year. We didn't, but this year we're definitely going to get it. I think it's so, so important that we get top four this year. Um, Because if we don't, then you really question the progress that this club is making and if it's making it fast enough. But let's assume all goes well and we do get top four this year. The question is going to be to the players, look, we said two years ago we're going to get close. We said last year we're going to get top four. This year we're going to push for to get closer to the top. And then in a year's time, it's about building a title challenge in two years time, et cetera. I don't know what they've been told, but um, it it's more than just top four, right? Jesus isn't coming here to compete for top four every year. Um, so totally. look, and those, those players, they might be receptive to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Agreed. There's something we haven't touched on and we, I mean, we, totally wrong to not touch on it um so let's just spend at least five minutes talking about it before we wrap up the show we have now the youngest premier league player of all time we had a debut this weekend from ethan nuaneri um I hope that that is the proper way of pronouncing his surname uh, I'm sure we'll find out because I'm sure he'll be a player that's talked about more and more but it took a lot of people, including most of us Arsenal fans, by surprise because we'd been hearing a lot about many other young players recently, I think, over the last year. Taylor Keto Hart was one. 
Um, Kaon Edwards is another one who sort of recently has been kind of really in the limelight as a striker is doing so well. And as you know, you know, we've talked about Balogun and, and, and Beareth and, and players like that uh, in the past, Marcelo Flores. We haven't really talked or heard too much about this other kid, this Ethan Nwaneri, who um, is 15 years old, has been playing minutes in the under 18s. He's on the bench against um, uh, against Brentford, and there's talk about well, Arsenal then a 15 year old on the bench. Now, one of the one of the things that I think we've talked about with regards to Arteta has been quite frequently he's got quite a few young players on the bench, and quite often, like even when we are three nil up or four nil up, he tends to kind of I don't know bring Rob Holding on or El Nenny on, and he doesn't yeah. give one of these. Um, but against Brentford, he he brought on Ethan Wanneri and 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 made him the youngest player ever to play in the Premier League at just 15 years old in 100 days. This kid was literally a child. He's too young to <laughs> get changed with the rest of the team. You know, he has to get changed on his own That's because serious? of safeguard. Yeah, because of safeguarding. No issues. way. Yeah, yeah. He can't. He can. He's not allowed to change with the team. He's in year 10. The kid's in year 10. He was 12 years old when COVID started. You know. Um, <laughs> it's 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 mind-boggling i read this art i read this um article in the times i didn't read the whole article in fairness and and there was this thing about how you know when he was um applying for a school scholarship i think he was he was playing in the, I, I think he said he was playing in his school team or trying out for the for the for the team for the scholarship but anyway basically what it said was there were other players there playing on that pitch who were attached to big clubs and they had to take Ethan Waneri off the pitch because it was just too unfair and other players couldn't touch the ball. They couldn't touch the ball. These are players already attached to big clubs and, and they had to take this Ethan Waneri off the pitch because he was he was that good. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? It's so, such a big part of our history, isn't it, Aaron, and having young players come through. Um, we've already got the youngest squad in the Premier League. Southampton are sort of competing with us um, at the moment for that title this season. But right now, I think it's still us. And to give your debut to a 15-year-old when you're top of the league, it's a, it's pretty mental, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, it was nice, I think. And I think that's kind of all it is. I'm not reading too much into anything else. I think the fact that we were 3-0 up, totally in control, and that very rarely happened last season, to be fair. Yeah. We were always um we were always you know, clinging on, defending a lead. If it was 1-0, there's no chance he's coming on, right? Mm. Even for 30 seconds. Um, I think just the fact that we were chilling, game was done, game was won, Brentford had given up, their fans had given up. I just think Arteta thought, you know what, why don't I make a, why don't I make some headlines here? And, you know, if you're the manager, this is basically risk-free PR where you can bring on the youngest ever player. I doubt he's going to get a single minute after this for the rest of the season <laughs> probably not again next season probably not even the season after that not to say that he won't be a good player it's just that i he's got school he's got school to go gcse's coming up and all that to focus on um no i think it, it was nice for him right I, I don't know how what circumstances meant that he was on the bench well this is this is this is a good this is a good one to talk about because danny do you see danny murphy's comments uh, so, did you say there, was, there were other players ahead of him? Yeah, he basically he sort of alluded to the fact that this was a little bit weird, and 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 I think there's some fair questions 
there's um to be asked here it is dwtt again i understand why ethan got minutes but susan smith didn't get any minutes yeah it's a it's a good point right so like and i think this is what i was coming on to it when you are top of the league and you bring on and you do something like this the message that it sends out is almost more impactful than actually you know the future of this player in in a way like like you mentioned he may not actually play that much at, at all anymore because it says a number of things it's a, it, it says one thing it says Arsenal are doing really well and they still give an opportunity to young players so you've got all these players in the academy who are right now right now you know from what i understand and what we can see look at what chelsea did recently chelsea have gone an aggressive aggressive hunt for young talent right mm. this summer they have they've signed up a whole bunch of young talent the competition for young academy players right now is through the roof there is so much like so so many teams are aggressively trying to get the best talent right now if you are a young player right now you're looking at arsenal going that is a place where i genuinely can get opportunities i mm. I, I can i can be 15 years old and i can get opportunities yeah. like what what you know why would you not want to be at arsenal when you're a young player and so you know that message plus the message to to Ethan Waneri, who's you know if he's coveted by all these various teams, he's probably thinking, well, actually, you know, no, no, Arsenal really do rate me. Maybe I should you know sign a sign a professional terms and be a you know and and do all that kind of stuff. I guess it, it, it is my, my point, Aaron. Do you, do you think actually giving Ethan Waneri minutes was more about all of this other stuff than it was about necessarily saying he is the he is the the top he he out of all these other players deserves to be playing right now like like dwtt said susa and smith are players who have i think they've been around a little bit more um you know why wouldn't you bring one of those guys on um you know so is it more of about the statement than the player yeah i think he he just looked at his bench and thought well i'm gonna bring on i've probably got one sub left i actually don't know if he could have brought on more but he thought well if i'm gonna give someone a minute let me just give the youngest kid a minute because that's just a nice thing to do. And he can, you know, he's probably a little while away from making the bench again because we'll have players back in the next couple of games and he's not going to get a look in on the bench. And he's going to go back to the under 21s, I think, which he's still, you know, way ahead of his age curve for getting into the under 21s. But he'll go back to the under 21s and be buzzing, right? And everyone else in that under 15, under 16 squad like you said, will be like, ah, oh, well, you know, if there are a few injuries in my position, I'm going to get on the bench. And if I'm on the bench, maybe there's a chance that I'll get a couple of minutes. And, you know, if they take their chances from there, who knows, right? And I think generally the the motto at Arsenal was if you're good enough, you're old enough. And to see the fact that you are trusted, even if you are 15, uh, is, is pretty wild, right? So... Look, fair play to Arteta. I think he's made that kid's season. Um, and actually, hopefully now he goes on. And look, there's still so much wrong that can go wrong for a, a 15-year-old in terms of development and where they end up. But if this isn't motivation, then nothing else will be. 100% on that. And I think it's a great position. Uh, a great a great point to finish on. Um, we didn't do predictions for the top game. Um, but I wonder whether we save it because it is the international break. We've got a couple of weeks. There's a good chance we're going to record before the Tottenham game. Yep. Um, so maybe we, we we save it for then. So, 
Aaron and listen, we've been going for an hour and fifteen. Um, it's uh, it's been a good chat. Thank you everyone for for joining and and um, thanks so much for the comments because again, like we we actually started off recording this episode um, not doing a live one. We were just we 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 literally just started setting up as a as a as a normal recording that we thought we might as well switch it to live. So thank you very much for um, entertaining us and and making it fun for us. And um, listen, like we are top of the league still. It's mental, right? Like. I mean, is there any Arsenal fan in the world? Is there literally any Arsenal fan in the world that thought that by the international break, Arsenal would be top of the Premier League? I mean, Aaron, do you genuinely think there's there would was any? No, but I, to be fair, like I did think this was a possibility, which I was ridiculed for. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if anyone did you is really think it was a possibility, listen to though? the season preview podcast where I was ridiculed for my views. Um, but no, I didn't think that was a possibility. No. Um, I I think we're on a good run and I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm sure it's going to go wrong at some point. Yes. Until then, let's just make the most of it. The main thing is, Gunas, you know, if we do have a bad result, even if Tottenham doesn't go our way, let's not have a meltdown, right? Because it's the really important thing that I think that we've, that, that you know, everyone should realise. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is. Three points is three points. Yep. If, you beat, if you beat Man City, it's three points. If you beat... Fulham is three points. It's all the same amount of points. And that's what we're seeing, I think, in this league right now, right? You're getting a lot of teams who are just dropping points to teams that they should, in inverted commas, beat. Arsenal Football Club this season, our ticket to success, whatever that success may be, is just beat the team. Just play who's in front of you. Just get three points. Don't do draws. Draws are rubbish. Draws are meaningless, right? We've we've lost again. There's a couple of teams below us who have not lost, lost the game yet. But we have lost a game, but we won the rest. That's the key thing. We haven't drawn games. We're winning. So, you know, let's just not let, not have a meltdown. Like, it'll be okay. Like, you know, I think this, shown, this team has shown some resilience. They've shown they're able to bounce back. So, you know what? Let's just enjoy the ride and, and, and enjoy where this, like, fantastic young team is going and this uh, amazing talent of a manager is taking us. So, um, cool. Aaron, thank you very much, my friend. Good night. Thank you. Cheers. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.